right. Fantastic to see the sunshine coming in today. And, um, you know, we need sunshine to flourish. Today's sermon is called Flourish Where You Are. And it'll be a well-known passage, but we'll see a bit of the context around that well-known passage to get a deeper grasp of it. But we need sunshine to flourish. And I love the sunshine. We also actually need rain to flourish, unfortunately. And I was once speaking to a person, uh, a friend of mine, who'd suffered quite a bit of abuse. And uh, I realized that as Jesus is the rose of Sharon, if we are to be beautiful roses, another aspect, unfortunately, as well as rain, is what makes roses really flourish. A lot of manure. That's a good word. I was looking for a polite word. And so, we shouldn't be so surprised, and we'll see it come through in the passage even today, if... We find sometimes a lot of that stuff being dumped on us to make us beautiful. Uh, but be encouraged that we also dump stuff on other people. None of us are innocent. None of us are perfect. We're all on journeys. And, uh, but uh, today is about flourishing where you are. And the passage is uh, very well known. We've all got it on our fridge, Jeremiah 29.11. But we're going to look at a bit wider around it, starting at verse 4. They'll come up from there. And just to give a bit of background, in the previous chapter, Jeremiah 28, you will know probably that the Jews were naughty. I mean really naughty. They got a lot of warnings. If you've got kids, you know what it's like. You sometimes put them for five minutes on a naughty step. That's when they've been a little bit naughty. And other days, you wake up in the morning and you think, I really want to bless my kids. But they just start being unreasonable. And you give them a pretty decent warning And then another warning. And in the end you say, I'm having to tell you, if you carry on like this, we will not go for that big day out. And inside you're going, please behave. I want to bless you. And they wreck it. And you cannot reward. You cannot reward the horrendous behavior and say, so you say it's all off. This is more than five minutes on the naughty step. This is serious consequences. Teenagers, I haven't got teenagers yet, but some of you, you may ground them for one week, one month, one year, whatever it is, serious consequences. And this is exactly what's happened here. The Jews have been gone past the mild rebellion into serious rebellion. God has issued a series of warnings and now into exile. Absolutely taken away all the best people. When I say the best, not in God's eyes. But in the Babylonian eyes, all the best people, the architects, the solicitors, the accountants, the this, the that, all the fancy people taken away into exile to do their business in Babylon. That's the background of it. But in verse 28, there's a false prophet called Hananiah. And uh, he wants to encourage the Jews by saying, it's only going to be two years. Won't be long. We'll be back. God's told me it's going to be fine. It's all great. And there's a lot of false prophets out today that are speaking just too much good news. You know, you may have been in environments where, oh, I can see the Lord. He's going to, you're going to lead thousands to Christ. And Pete, you're going to be the most significant Christian this country's ever known. And you're going to be this amazing, this. There's a lot of that sort of prophecy. And some of it, of course, might be true. But there's a tendency to always give the good news, isn't there? And I know prophecy is meant to encourage. We shouldn't be out giving things that leave people wrecked. But nevertheless, Hananiah, in true Old Testament fashion, Issued false, it was an ear tickler. And so he died. 
like all the Old Testament prophets did when they spoke wrongly on behalf of the Lord. Quite a sobering thing. That's the background. And so we get into Jeremiah 29.4. And Jeremiah is giving the real deal. And this is the real deal that he gives to the Jews. This is what the Lord Almighty really says, the God of Israel. To all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and deminers among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to harm you, not, and not to harm you, <laughs> to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This message today, as I said, is entitled, Flourish Where You Are. I don't know where you are right now in terms of whether you feel that your life is just where you want to be. Are you in the job that you just want to be? Or is it all a bit temporary? I'm just looking to do something else. Are you in a ministry that you feel, I'm really planted here? Or are you just ticking over a bit temporary, not sure what I'm doing? Are you living in the house? Are you doing whatever you're doing in the church that you think this is where I am? Or is it all a bit temporary? I don't care. In a sense, God says, flourish where you are. Because we'll see that where you are is probably a lot more sovereignly ordained than you may think it is. You see, 15 years ago, I was a youth pastor, and I needed to top up my meager earnings with a little bit of extra cash. So I went to somebody in the church. I said, you're a painter and decorator. Ever got a bit of work that I can do? He said, fine, start next week. The first day I went, got there at 9 o'clock or half past 8, started sanding doors. Got to 11 o'clock, break. I said, what am I going to do after break? He said, sand some more doors. Got to 1 o'clock, had another break. What am I going to do after break? Sand some frames. And then 3 o'clock, what am I going to do next? Sand some windows. I spent the whole day this motion. I actually had three days like it this week as well. 15 years ago, I thought, this is great. It's only temporary. Won't last long. I'm obviously not going to be doing this for very long. Not only am I doing it 15 years later, building and decorating, I've actually trained up a whole load of other people who are now doing it for a living. You see, what I thought must be just so temporary has ended up being very, very permanent. Joseph is a classic example of a guy who could have been so unfruitful on the basis that just about everywhere he found himself, he could have gone, this isn't really what I dreamed of. This isn't really what I thought God had for me. I mean, did he wake up one day thinking, great, I'm going to get beaten up by my brothers today, chucked in a pit and put into slavery. Of course he didn't. And yet he found himself in slavery in Potiphar's household. But he flourished there. 
could have been full of self-pity. He could have been going, this isn't where I'm meant to be. God's spoken to me. I know I'm a child of God. I should be in Israel. He goes, I'm here. I'm going to prosper. I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to flourish where I am. And so he flourishes so much so. He flourishes so much that Potiphar's wife takes a shine to him and obviously tries to make a move on him. Thank God and praise God. He fled, but hell hath no fury like a scorned woman. And she accused him of rape and he ends up in jail. Did he wake up that day going, I always planned this. This is just where I want to be. Some of you may be in situations now, nowhere near as bad as that, or maybe they are, where you feel you're in a place you really don't want to be. My word to you today, or I believe God's word to you, is flourish wherever you are. And so he's in the jail and he flourishes in there so much so that he comes out through and ends up being in a place of government and again flourishes and rises up to the very top and ends up saving his family and indeed the nation of Israel and plays a significant part in the history of Israel. What a guy, eh? Flourished everywhere he went, even though not one place he went, I bet he really chose. chose bad English. You see, I'm... Uh, a very poor gardener, but I can build decking. And my wife wanted a decking outside our house. And so we just chose where we'd put it, and then we were faced with an issue. We have a load of shrubs and plants there, so what's going to happen to them? Well, thankfully, God has given us dominion over animals and plants, so I can actually choose where I want to relocate the plants. And we have to make some choices. Do we kill the shrub? Do we uproot it and plant it somewhere else? Or do we make a hole in the decking and let the shrub come up through in a feature in the decking? We did all three. But what I want to say is that we made the decisions. We were the chief gardener of that garden. And we still are. Really what we say goes. The plants might think they're fantastic and beautiful. But if I want to kill any of them, bring any of them, uproot them, I'll do it. And God's sovereignty is very much like that. He's really loving, by the way. I might be a very poor gardener. But he's a beautiful gardener. And he knows best where we're going to flourish. So I decided to move one plant from that part of the garden to that part of the garden. I thought it would look beautiful there. God does that with us sometimes. He uproots us and produces something of beauty somewhere else. He is very sovereign. Theologians have argued for years and centuries about how much free will we have, how much it's all about the sovereignty of God. In other words, did God choose us or did we choose God? When I became a Christian, I bought a house next to a Jamaican pastor. I, I wasn't searching for God one bit. But he seemed to plant me right next door to a pastor who used to speak to me and in the end invited me to church. Did I choose God? I don't know. God played a huge part in my salvation. If my kids, if I'm taking my kids downtown, they're going downtown. They've got no free will in it. But they've got a lot of free will in how they behave on that journey. They can kick off, they can come willingly, they can chat, they can be miserable, they can do whatever, but nothing's going to change the fact that they are going downtown. I'm just giving you some concept of the whole thing of free will a minute before we go into this passage. Similarly, you look in Revelation, you look at Genesis, and you see that civilization is on a path and nothing is going to change it. We often look at the end times and we go, that's where it's going, and it is going there, but we've got a lot of choices we can make along that way. If you get on a boat in Southampton, it's going to New York. There's nothing you can do, but you can do, make a lot of choices on that boat. You're going to gamble on the slot machines. You're going to get drunk. You're going to read the Bible. You're going to share faith with people. What are you going to do? Have a good family time. What are you going to do on that boat? 
So we have free will, I believe, within an overarching sovereignty of God. We make plans, it says, but the Lord determines the steps. Well, let's have a look at this passage and see what it might mean for us. Because I don't know exactly what this passage is going to mean for you. And I want to stress that I'm not saying in this passage today that you should never move house, that you should never, you know, change ministry, that you should never um, move abroad, whatever it is. But God sovereignly allows these things to happen. But in the meantime, my encouragement is flourish exactly where you are. We often think the situation and the circumstances we are in are not of God. And we're going to see this passage challenge some of those views. Verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The Jews probably felt that the Babylonians carried them into exile. The Babylonians probably felt that they carried the Jews into exile. But God says, no, 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 I'm way above all of that. The sovereignty, my plan, took them into exile. The Babylonians were probably chuffing themselves. They thought they'd done a great thing for their country. The Jews were probably really thinking, obviously God's got off the throne for a while. But God, first of all, hits home the point, I carried you into exile. Some of us currently might be in situations that are tough, and either because it's just pure discipline because we've been naughty, or whether it's because God is just developing our muscles, developing our spiritual muscles, he may sovereignly have placed us in a place that isn't just tickety-boo for us, it seems right now. And this is what Jeremiah says. You're not going to be back in two years. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. So right away, there's a sense of permanence about this move. Jeremiah is saying, this is what the Lord says. You're going and you're going to be there a good amount of time. So build houses. It's hardly temporary. And then he takes it even further. He goes, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase and do not decrease. You know, in the Bible it says in Acts 17.26, it says God has determined the exact times. This is incredible. The exact times and the exact places that each one of us should live. Incredible. Where you are right now seems biblically to be exactly what God has ordained for you. Quite incredible. And it goes on to say, in order that you will reach out for him, even though he's not far from any of us. In other words, God is continually being the chief gardener, putting you and I in places where he goes. This is their best chance of being beautiful. This is where their best chance of growth is. This is their best chance of flourishing. And so I'm going to put them in places where they're most likely to reach out to me, reach out to the sun, the spiritual sun, and they can grow and they can put down roots and they can flourish. God has determined the exact times and the exact places in which each one of us should live. And so he says, I have determined now that you're going to Babylon. It's not the Babylonians' will. It's my will that you go there, and you go there, and you take a long-term view. Everything in them would have just wanted to go, this is just for now. This is just temporary. This isn't what God wants. Do you see what I'm saying? And he's going, settle down now to the third generation. Increase 
there. Do not decrease. It would be so tempting for them to just shut up shop and go, this is Babylon. This is not us. We don't belong here. Do any of you as Christians sometimes you don't feel like you belong in this world? I hope you do, because it is weird. They think we're weird, but I think the world is weird. 52-year-olds identifying as six-year-old kids and transgender this and choosing this identity and that identity. It's mad. And yet we're mad for just thinking God created us male and female. But the point is, it's a hostile, weird world. And they go to Babylon. It's full of opposing theology and ideology and everything else. And they could just go there and go, we've just got to shut up shop, get through it. And God seems to be going, no, put roots down there. Put real roots down there. Build houses, have families, have lots of kids. Are you like me? A little bit like you think, this world, do I really want to bring kids into this world? When I've brought two into this world. But part of you goes, it's tough. And it seems to be getting a bit worse. God seems to be going, don't just shut up shop. Don't just go, and I know some Christians who take a viewpoint something like this. They go, this is alien, this is foreign, this is bad. Let's pull up the drawbridge. Let's go as inward as we can and just exist because home is in heaven. And then there will be no tears, no suffering, no pain, no sickness, no death. And so we just got to hold on and get there. I don't believe that's the heart of God. I believe he's going, yes, that's all true. But I want you to flourish where you are. Even if it feels temporary. Even if it feels alien. Interestingly, and this is not an anti-immigration rant. But um, interesting what he says there about settle down, marry, have lots of kids, go forth and multiply. Because the spiritual climate of Europe is changing so much just on birth rates. Countries like Bulgaria and Italy, they, they cannot sustain their population. Bulgaria is going down like a rocket. So is Italy. And yet, with migration, people are coming in and having five, six, seven kids. And then the next generation having five, six, seven kids. And all of a sudden, in 30, 40, 50 years, Europe may be 25, 30, 40% Muslim. We don't know. But it's interesting, isn't it, that God goes, when you go to Babylon, increase in numbers so that your influence grows also he says seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper you know the church of England are really good at praying for the nation I don't know if you noticed that but just about every week they pray for the king the queen the this the different people in authority Um, and to our shame we don't that often do it But in Timothy, there's a similar verse that says, I urge then that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. Why? That we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. The Lord is saying, pray for your leaders, pray for your MPs, pray for these people, whether they're Christian or not. Why? In order that you might be able to prosper a bit. He's also saying in Babylon, this is an alien culture, but pray for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We may turn around one day and find ourselves in a situation where we're forbidden to meet. We're forbidden to, you know, worship Jesus publicly. And we'll go like they did, the Babylonians. Oh, how we wet when we remembered those days in light and life. And Pete Godfrey used to get up and speak. 
Those days when we used to meet in those groups, those days we used to have youth and all that. Oh, how we wept when we remembered that. I'm not prophesying that. and I say God forbid. But there's a sense in which our prayers have an effect in shaping our own ability to prosper and so on in this nation. Let us keep praying. So he says pray for Babylon. Pray for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams. Wait for it. You encourage them to have. Again, there's a sister verse in the New Testament. In Timothy, it says, In the last days, people will not put up with sound doctrine. They will gather around themselves people who will say whatever their itching ears want to hear. You see? And let's face it. If Pete starts preaching in ways that you don't like, you sack him. Get somebody to preach just what you want to hear. If he gets a bit challenged and if he gets a bit this, same with me. Pastors to a degree, prophets to a degree, are under, to some degree, the control of the people. Because they can soon oust you. They can soon hound you out. And so what he's saying to these people of the um, Jews is, don't, you're encouraging them. You're encouraging them in their everything's lovely mentality. You're encouraging them to give you these ear-tickling prophecies. And don't encourage preachers. I loved it when I stood there this morning. One of the ladies said, you know, pray that you'll be brave and won't shrink back from being courageous and say what you've got to say and all that stuff. It's good, isn't it? She didn't go, just tell us loads of nice things today, Mark, that we all want to hear. Hopefully, by the way, you will be encouraged by the word of God. That's what it's there for. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And then we get to the bit that we really love. And this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. 70 years. Are any of you in situations where you've been enduring a sense of pain for a number of years? I remember being childless from really about 25 to 42. I had my first child at 42. I was in agony over that. I hated it. I said, God, I want a baby. Now I've got them, you know. No, I'm joking. But I want a baby. Pain. And, and, and for some, it's, it's pain all the way through. It never actually happens. But for others, there may be some pain with sickness or health or something. There's just an ongoing pain, a, a, a painful relationship, just something. When 70 years are over. For me, it was 15 in one scenario. And then something beautiful happened. But all the time, God was deepening, deepening, deepening. And I was pouring out my heart to him. Connecting with him. Growing in him. Through the hard times. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And we see here something of the character of God that every single discipline he puts upon his people, upon his children, is for one reason only, to build relationships with those very same people. When I put my son on the naughty step for five minutes or, or banish him to another room for ten minutes, it's not because I can't stand him. It's because I want to be able to relate with him in a proper, healthy manner. And so there's a temporary discipline 
that puts him out in order in the hope that full and good and loving relationship can be restored. For God here, it was 70 years. The punishment had to go, the, 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 the pruning, if you like, the, the cleansing from their rebellion was going to take three generations to work out before they come back and rebuild that temple with Ezra and Nehemiah. Maybe increasingly there was a collective groaning of, oh, we just want to go back. We actually, those things we took for granted, we so want it. We don't want to be in this place. We realize now how horrible it is. We chased after it. Now we've got there. It's horrible. Have any of you done that? Particularly as young people. I didn't grow up in a Christian environment. But it must be hard if you grow up in a Christian environment in one sense because you've never tasted all that nonsense to go, I wonder what it's like. I had a gut full. I just came, God, get me away from it. Jesus, help. But for three generations, this outworking, of the discipline of God, aimed for one reason and one reason alone. And if any of you are in difficult situations right now, please believe that it's all about God building and restoring relationship with you so that my plans are not to harm you, that are prospering, that you'll call to me, you'll come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Sometimes it builds up. We're, we're lukewarm, we're tepid, and then we, we grow and we go, God, please, and then it's a bit more. I remember screaming to God on the way down in the car today over a certain issue. I'm screaming. And it'd be so weird to think I'm mad. But it was more than just, oh, could you do this and that, please, God? Something growing and building in my heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place which I carried you into exile. This is really, even though it's applying to them, this is a real foretaste, isn't it, to the New Testament, to the New Covenant. This word of God that's relevant for that period, but also goes far further into the New Testament, that confirms that promise, that God went on that cross in order that his hope was that not one would perish. Now, whether more than one perish is another matter, but his heart is that I'll go on a cross. I'll do everything I can to build relationship with the people I've created. I'll even stand in their place and pay the price. I am so keen for relationship with my beautiful creation that I'll go to great lengths to rescue you, to bring you back from captivity. And me personally, I was brought back from captivity. My sin had got me into a state of torment. And Jesus not only forgave me, but he rescued me bit by bit from all those horrible voices that kept me so oppressed. This is God's plan for every single one. To bring them from all nations, people from captivity, and they might come back into relationship. I just want to finish on a few verses from Psalm 92. In Psalm 92 it says this. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. You see, you're here today, you're, you're, you're planted. You've planted yourself in the house of the Lord. You've planted, well I hope you've planted yourself. You may have roots that big. But I would encourage you to go, this is where I am right now. 
It may change in one year, two years, ten years, but this is where I am right now. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted. It saddens me when I see so many Christians who just live in an endless temporary swirl of never really putting down roots. Never really building relationships. Never really building ministry. Because everything's just so, well, I might not be here for long. We had a family, some of you will know who I'm talking about, who came to our church six months into it. And they said from the beginning, our long-term aim is to be in Bodmin. Our long-term aim, we feel called ultimately to Bodmin. There was no Bodmin church then. And they came and they settled in our church. And even though they knew that was where they were going to be in one to two years' time, they planted themselves in the house of the Lord. They flourished. Because they put down roots, you can't produce fruit without putting down roots. They got stuck into our church from day one, and they got stuck into it to the day they left, and now they're flourishing in Bodmin Light and Life. Beautiful story. They had every reason to go, and when he around here for a little while, It's not worth really investing much here. It's not worth really getting attached to anybody here. It's not worth really doing anything. But we'll come. And so they didn't. The righteous will flourish planted in the house of the Lord. Are you really planted today? Whether it's this house, another house, in your job, or you're just going through the motions. Plant. Put down roots. Even if you know it might be temporary. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. You know, a palm tree is the most beautiful thing, isn't it? For me personally, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I think it's a beautiful tree. When I go down the south, Cornwall further south, and you see the palm trees in the sun, I mean, what's your idea of beauty? It's probably a white beach, turquoise waters, and a few palm trees, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful. And so the righteous will flourish. There will be beauty. In them. And I'm not talking about outward beauty. If you're over 50 like me, you don't got much chance of that going forward. But you can have have an inward beauty. And then he says, you'll be like a cedar of Lebanon. And they were known for their enormous trunks. Strong, strong trunks. You'll be beautiful and you'll be strong. And bear fruit even into your old age. Young guy in our church, he's not now young, he's 35. When he first came to England, his dad was a Methodist minister. And going back into the 80s and 90s, he was introduced to all these faithful old Methodists around Cornwall. And he says to this day, they shone. They shone with the beauty and glory of the Lord. They used to speak to him and he could just see this love of Jesus on these old guys. They were all about 80 at the time, or 70. Even in old age, they still bear fruit. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. I love it to see when I see people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s still beaming with joy for the Lord. Well, we're pretty much there. So my message is this. Number one, the sovereignty of God is massive. Don't lose too much sleep thinking, oh, I wonder if this is where God wants me. I wonder if I should be here, if I should be doing that, if I should be doing that. You're probably in exactly the place he wants you right now. But that doesn't mean it may not change. While you're there, flourish, put down roots, do everything you can to prosper in the place that you're in. Even if you hate it. Even if it's Babylon through and through. I don't know what your workplace is like. And finally, 
just know that as you do that and the roots go down, a flourishing will take place. A beauty, a strength will increase and grow in you. I'm going to hand over to Pete for a time of communion. I'm going to pray first. And I think of that psalm where it says, He gave us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for a spirit of despair, that we might be what? Oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified.